Chuck Swindoll writes, please do not touch. That brief imperative is seldom ever scrawled out in a bold manner. It's usually neatly printed in elegant places stating the obvious. Because there are always a few fools who are anxious to rush in where angels would not dare. And so those four words appear as a warning so people won't try to handle a priceless thing in a careless manner. The untouchable may be something as small as a fine china cup or a, a large one-of-a-kind classic car. But instead of handling such things, we are encouraged merely to enjoy them from a distance. Look, but keep your hands off. Many years ago, a, a group of tourists were making their way through the, the house where the German composer Ludwig von Beethoven had spent his last years. And as they arrived at the special conservatory where the man had spent so many hours at the piano, the, the guide paused and spoke quietly and said, here is the master's instrument. And a well-meaning but thoughtless woman in the back of the group pushed up to the front, sat down at the bench, and immediately began to play one of Beethoven's great sonatas. As she said, I suppose a lot of people love to play this piano. The guide placed his hand on hers to stop her as he answered, well, Ignacy Podoruski was here last summer and several in the group wanted him to play, but he responded, oh no, I'm not worthy to play the same keyboard as the great Beethoven. And there are certain scenes in scripture that seem too sacred, too priceless to touch. Some are majestic psalms of praise, others are intimate prayers and scenes of tragic grief. But there's a special sense of reverence when we come to the passage here that records the last week of Jesus's life. It's almost as if a small sign should appear before all who enter this section, please do not touch. There's something sacred about a place where someone has died and someone of value and significance is Jesus. I never arrive at the record of his final hours without a heightened sense of respect. So instead of plunging in without regard for his dignity, like the tourist at Beethoven's piano, I find myself hesitant, Swindoll said. It's almost as though the Holy Spirit has guided us here and then put his hand on ours and said, here's where he spent his final days. Here's what he did. Here's the way he died. Just be quiet and experience it. Take time to feel the emotion, to grasp the significance of these words. In the account that we studied today, we see that encountering Jesus changed Mary from sinful to sacrificial. Those forgiven much appreciate much more. And that true gratitude results in, in grateful living and generous sacrifice. The account that's shared in this chapter was an exuberant gratitude that was recorded and has been repeated for over 2,000 years. It serves as a standard for pouring out our lives in return as we reciprocate Christ's sacrificial gift to us. Why was Mary of Bethany so demonstrative in expressing her thanks to, to Jesus? Well, we know that just days before, Jesus had brought her brother Lazarus back to life. She was so grateful. And it's now the final week of Christ's earthly 
ministry before he was to be crucified. The apostles were in nearby Bethany at the home of, of Simon the leper, and we learned that from Mark's account, Mark 14.3. No one would eat with a leper unless he had been healed. So Simon owed his life to Jesus, who had cleansed him of his contagious leprosy. Another local recipient of Jesus' miraculous powers was present as well, Lazarus. And Lazarus' sister Martha was busy serving the meal as usual, and Mary was the other sister of whom Jesus had said, she has chosen the better thing because she would sit and listen to the, the teaching and come out of the kitchen. And once again, Mary, who always took pause from the hosting details to listen to Jesus, she got up and she did something unexpected. Mary performed the, the ritual reserved for preparing a deceased body for burial. That's what this anointing was. Her, her gratitude erupted in an outpouring that was an expression of love, of devotion, of thanksgiving to her master. And we read about it in, in John chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and then wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Verse 4, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Judas's true intentions of greed, larceny, self-advancement, were masquerading under the guise of feigned concern for the poor, the, the less fortunate, the, the disadvantaged. The other gospel accounts mention that from his comment, he managed to incite an uprising from the other disciples who quickly bought into his faulty spiritual reasoning. He said, why wasn't this, this money used for the poor? This is crazy. That's a year's wages here. And the other go, well, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, it kind of became a little mob mentality. And they were sincere, but they were sincerely wrong, and they were misguided by Judas's diversionary tactic. I love John's editorial honesty in his gospel when he exposes Judas's corrupt intentions in verse 6. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Mark's account states that the other disciples were indignant. They were upset. They were up in arms over this perceived waste of resources. I think that should serve as a good example to us to be careful about second-guessing spending decisions in a church. Our, our ministry groups and, and staff work diligently to, to maximize the use of every dollar given to the Lord's work at BCC. There's a, a commitment to doing things with excellence, 
but without extravagance or unnecessary excess. It's human nature for us to each have individual areas of, of preference uh, for funding to go toward our preferred category of ministry, but we should realize and, and value this concerted effort to, to prioritize spending and provide the best stewardship value for the sacrifices made by those who give. And Jesus replied, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. And Matthew and Mark's accounts include this final promise from Jesus. Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She's done a beautiful thing. You'll always be able to help the poor. That, that's going to be a constant and ongoing. But I'm about ready to, to be crucified. I'm going to be killed. And she is performing this anointing for burial. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, wherever the gospel is preached throughout all the world, what she has done will also be told in her memory. And true to his forecast, now 2,000 years later, that story is being retold today as we are studying and celebrating her action that reflected sacrifice. Certainly Mary was a sinner in the, the general sense that all have sinned and fallen short of, of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. Yet she was a, a godly, genuine follower. Her, her motivation for anointing Jesus seems to be this outpouring of gratitude to him for restoring her brother Lazarus to life. And it was a determined anointing in, in preparation for Christ's impending death and burial. So wherever he moved during the ensuing 48 hours, the, the fragrance would go with him into the Passover, into the Garden of Gethsemane, into the high priest's home, into Herod's hall, into Pilate's praetorium, into the crude hands of those who cast lots for his clothing at the foot of the cross. This special rite of perfuming the head and body was uh, a ritual reserved only for royalty. It was the most lofty honor that could be bestowed by a common person. And Jesus recognized this, and so did those around him. It was a significant moment of momentous meaning. You, you may recognize that this John 12 passage is similar to another story where Jesus was anointed by a woman described in, in Luke chapter 7. And the two are often confused. So we want to break it down and, and see the two experiences so that they're not easily controverted into a, a blur. The John 12 incident occurred in the southern region of, of Judah at the residence of Simon the leper. It took place late in the third year of Jesus's earthly ministry while he had one week left to live before his crucifixion. Now, I want to compare and contrast it with the other anointing that occurred early in his ministry, presumably in, in the northern region of Galilee, at the home of another man named Simon, not a leper, but Simon the, the Pharisee. And both experiences have some common threads, but appear to be two distinctive occurrences. So let's turn over to Luke chapter 7 and, and pick up this other account of, of Jesus being anointed by a woman. 
Verse 36 says, Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went to the Pharisee's house and, and reclined at the table. And as I've, I've taught you before, they, they didn't sit around a, a Thanksgiving table the way that we do, but they sat more uh, on chase lounges, uh, kind of reclined with the food in the middle, and then they would sit on uh, kind of with their, their elbow there, uh, prop themselves up, and then feed themselves with, with the other hand. That's this, this picture we have, which is, is different than the uh, traditional picture we have in our minds of uh, Da Vinci and the Last Supper. Verse 37 says, When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and she began to wet his feet with her tears. She was just overcome with emotion and just began to cry. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on his feet. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, well, if this man were really a prophet, he would know that the, the woman who's touching him, what kind of woman she is, she is a sinner. And Jesus read his thoughts, called him out by name, Simon, I have something to tell you. Well, tell me, teacher. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, and the other owed 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. That's customary greeting to wash the, the road dust off. Um, she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, a, a Mideastern greeting, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. For she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this that he even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The passage here in Luke 7 is similar to the other story of Jesus being anointed by a woman, Mary. And they're often confused, but to understand the story, the second story where Jesus is anointed by the sinful woman, we need to disentangle it from the story of Jesus' anointing at Bethany near the end of his ministry. There are some similarities. In both cases, Jesus is anointed with an expensive perfume. He's anointed by a woman. The anointings take place in the house of a man named Simon. But the differences between the story reveal that there really is a different incident here. The anointing of Bethany differs in that it took place in the home of Simon the leper, a man who Jesus had healed, who was following Jesus, not Simon the Pharisee who was 
searching and seeking and exploring the teachings of Jesus. The woman doing the anointing at, at Bethany is not spoken of as being sinful, but as being a close follower of Jesus, Mary, the sister of Lazarus. The, the meaning of her anointing in Bethany was to prepare Jesus for burial. The, the anointing is on the head. And, and the criticism by the, the disciples, especially Judas, over the value of the perfume that was wasted was different than the criticism of the, the second woman over her morals or, or lack thereof as she was doing the anointing. It's probable that, that Jesus had, during his three years of ministry, recounted this earlier anointing that had taken place by the sinful woman and that Mary had heard him speak of it. And it's possible that had prompted her to want to renew, recreate this moment of selfless abandon in serving the Lord and, and preparing him for his burial. It's presumed by most scholars that the, the woman in Luke 7 was a prostitute. And it's surmised that she broke the most valued item that she possessed. It may have been earned by her acts of immorality. It may have been a gift from a suitor. It, it represented who she was formerly but not who she wanted to be in the future. And breaking open the vase may have been a larger symbolic act of her making a break, break out from her tainted past. Dr. Ralph Wilson observes, there's something else we can deduce about this woman, that she was battered down. Her self-esteem was tattered. It was ragged. She was the continual object of cutting criticism and insults by the wives of her customers. She had been spat upon. She was the example many mothers in town used to warn their daughters. She was the brunt of nasty jokes. She was shunned by the best people and used and abused by the worst. Inwardly, she was broken. Her spirit was wounded. Perhaps she felt like that, and probably all of us have at some point realizing we failed miserably, and though time has passed, we're still humiliated and unsure. We feel too weak and fragile to pick ourselves up and, and move on. For her to even venture into the banquet at Simon the Pharisee's house is, is hard to imagine. She's publicly viewed as a sinner, one who conveys uncleanness by her very touch, almost as if she had a communicable disease. She knows that Simon the Pharisee will not be happy to see her in his house. But she had heard of Jesus, and she had heard some of his teachings, and she wanted to hear up close the gracious words of God's love, forgiveness, healing, and restoration. She had probably heard Jesus speak about his Father's kingdom in words so plain, so compelling, that she could see herself as a child of God once more that she wanted to be a full citizen in his kingdom of love. Yes, she was broken, but now she could see the light and hope beyond. And she begins to kiss his feet. While this is not the typical response in, in our culture, and in her culture, the, the kissing of the feet could be considered a mark of deep reverence, especially to leading rabbis. 
I think our American custom of thanking a teacher with a thank you note or a gift card works pretty well here. Finally, she pours scented oil onto his feet out of this alabaster vial. And this idea is stated in the imperfect tense of the Greek word, uh, Greek language, suggesting ongoing, repeated action. She wiped and kept wiping. And she kissed and, and kept kissing. She poured and kept pouring. This wasn't a one and done, but this was uh, an ongoing act of, of her worship to the Lord. So let, let's contrast the, the two accounts. And in, in Simon's Acts, there was no water to wash the feet. And here the, the sinful woman washed the feet with tears and wiped them with her hair. And, and in Bethany, there was no kiss of, of welcome. But here the, the woman kissed the feet continually. In Bethany, there was no scented olive oil for his guest's hair. And here in this account, there's perfume poured on his feet. And so the two accounts have some common threads, but are, are clearly two different events, two different times, two different points in Jesus' ministry, two different circumstances. One was prompted by gratitude. The other was, was prompted by this brokenness of wanting to leave uh, a life of sin, wanting to make a, a break and, and become a new person. And the people at, at the guest table said, who is this that even forgives sin? In a few days, Jesus would die and would seal the forgiveness of our sin with the sacrifice of, of his life. We've just celebrated that with the Lord's Supper. And the idea that, that he died in our places, he received the punishment that we deserve, that ought to well up in gratitude from, from all of us. That, that ought to affect the way that we live, the decisions we, we make, the, the words we use. It needs to spill over to every area of our lives with that kind of surrender and abandon that we see demonstrated by that, that sinful woman and in Luke 7. So let's build a bridge to today. We, we've studied this story and put these two stories side by side and, and let's draw some application for us this week. And, and I encourage you to jot some, some notes down. We left some space for you to write there on your bulletin. And uh, application point number one is you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. And that's what this was about, gratitude, devotion, appreciation for grace, love, all prompted the response of both of these two ladies. Second take home is those forgiven much appreciate much more. That's true. When Jesus said, well, Simon, answer this for me. If someone canceled the debt of 500 denarii or canceled the debt of 50 denarii, which one do you think would, would be more excited about that? Well, obviously the one who had 10 times as much erased. 
And sometimes people who grow up uh, in the church fail to appreciate how much God has done for us. Uh, Sometimes there can be a tendency to feel superior to those who've gone through a lot of bad choices and made a lot of mistakes. And there's no difference in God's sight. Sin is, is sin. But I think there sometimes is a different appreciation. And those who have been forgiven much seem to sometimes appreciate much more. And so the better our understanding and grasp of the grandeur of grace, the more motivated we will be to serve the Lord, to love the Lord, to live for the Lord. When we get grace, it changes everything. Application point number three. If you write this down, sacrifice is giving up something you love for something you love even more. Sacrifice is giving up something you love for something you love even more. I I love the story about the the boy in grade school who's learning about fractions and the teacher was you know, pointing to the board and had a, a drawing of a, a piece of pie then kind of sliced it into different segments. And the teacher said, now, Billy, there are five members in your family. And so you cut the, the pie. What fraction of the pie do you get? He said, one-fourth. She said, no, 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 Billy, there are five members in your family. You cut the pie into five slices. What fraction do you get? He said, one-fourth. The teacher was exasperated, and she said, listen, you just don't understand fractions. He said, no, ma'am, you don't understand my mother. She would say she didn't want any so that we could all have bigger slices. That's sacrifice. Giving up something you love, a warm apple pie, because you love your kids even more, you want them to have a bigger slice of the pie. That's what sacrifice means. There's a fourth application point, if you'd write that down. Abandon means you hold nothing back from the Lord. Sometimes we're we're pretty reserved and and uptight in in our worship. Uh, Abandon means you you let go. You, You don't hold back. You surrender. You enter into this expression, this outpouring. And I understand different personality types uh, tend to be more demonstrative or, or more reserved. And so the, the thing I'm challenging is that inside you have that abandon. If you can't get your body to do that on the outside, be sure that there inside is this deep gratitude and appreciation for what God has done for you and, and that you pour that out to him in your prayers as you sing to him, as you live for him this week, that there is this Hold nothing back, uh, abandonment before the Lord. You leave it all on the field. Total worship, total surrender, top priority. And that's a lesson for us today is, is, as we personally examine our response, our worship, our commitment to the Lord. So whether you are a nice sinner like Mary of Bethany or whether you've been a nasty sinner, like this woman with the the sordid past and bad reputation, we all 
are sinners in need of God's grace. No one is good enough on his or her own. In response to his giving, his all for us, as our sacrifice, the Lord expects us to give our all for him and living for him with self-sacrifice every day. I want to close with this hymn. Oh, the bitter pain and sorrow that a time could ever be when I proudly said to Jesus, all of self and none of thee. Yet he found me and I beheld him bleeding on the cursed tree. And my wistful heart said faintly, some of self and some of thee. Day by day, his tender mercy, healing, helping, full and free, brought me lower while I whispered, less of self and more of thee. Higher than the highest heaven, deeper than the deepest sea, Lord, thy love at last has conquered none of self and all of thee. Dear God, may that be our prayer for this week. May we appreciate all you have done for us. May that be evident as we sacrifice our alabaster vases and give to you with total surrender and abandon and heartfelt love and deep appreciation. We are so thankful for these stories of example that remind us we can't be too convenient in our gratitude, but that we need to be committed to you. In Jesus' name we pray.